0: Welcome to the Behavioral Groups Podcast. My name is Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. We interview interesting
1: people in order to unlock insights into behavioral science and how we can apply them to work and
0: life. And we are proud to announce that this Behavioral Groups Podcast is sponsored by the Lantern Group and Behavior Alchemy, two companies that both provide 100% of the minimum daily behavioral insights to keep you and your company healthy. Yes. (laughs) who writes that stuff i love that stuff (laughs) stay healthy companies (laughs) in this episode we talked with dr christina gravert postdoc at the university of Gothenburg and chief behavioral economist of impactfully a behavioral science consultancy and you can follow her on twitter at c underscore a underscore gravert uh, we talked to her from Gothenburg, Sweden, where the weather is very similar, Tim, to Minnesota. How nice is that? Yeah, cold most of the year until you get that one glorious day of summer. <laughs> <laughs> and we had a very interesting conversation with her about nudging. Yes, we did. At the beginning of that session, we discussed what
1: defines a nudge versus other policy or incentive decisions how nudges come about, and she told us in part because Richard Thaler started recording anomalies between real-life behavior and what traditional economics would have uh, have predicted. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, We also talked about the evolving definition of economic utility and how it's morphed uh, by the impact of behavioral economics.
0: Yes, as uh, my undergraduate degree was in economics, I was Uh, fascinated by the discussion of adding, quote, unquote moral components to the concept of utility the idea that feelings of right and wrong being part of a utility measure would have been really cutting edge back in the 80s when i was studying it
1: yeah well one of my favorite parts of this discussion is around are you ready for this i am the nudge a the nudge a uh, welcome to Nudgeathon 2018 <laughs> uh, that she put on in in Gothenburg, and uh, I think we need to do those one. In, uh, we do a, need to do a Nudge Fest, a
0: nudge
1: a rama in Minnesota.
0: <laughs> I love it. I think Twin Cities Nudge Fest 2018. <laughs> no, Twin Cities Nudge-A-Thon. There we go. I think we we might need to trademark that or something. We, we, we probably we, should. Yeah, we, we should. should. Yeah, we yeah. should get right on that. Get a copyright on, on
1: that. <laughs> yeah. all right. we all, and you know, this was kind of fun, because when we talked about music, Christina introduced the first German band to our musical discussions in the podcast.
0: Uh, I can't pronounce it, but it was Ju- July. Yeah, Yuli. <laughs> Yuli Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great go. tune, by the yeah. way. Yeah? yeah. 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 You, you played it for me the other day. It was fun. <laughs> Uh, So listen up. And if you enjoy this, please like us on iTunes or whatever podcast thingy that you use. (laughs) Uh, We really uh, appreciate it. And it really goes a long way, really, truly does in spreading the word and getting uh, more people to be able to listen to this. And uh, if you really, really like it. I mean, really, really like, like it. Like a lot? Like a lot. Well, actually, if you just even kind of like it, I suppose. So just a little bit. Just a little bit. Write a review. You know, <laughs> just say some nice, kind words about us. We'd be very, very thankful. We might even respond back to you. Who
1: knows? Let's say you're extroverted. You're you're the kind of person that's just the life of the party. You should write that review. <laughs> you should, And
0: then you should share it with 10 of your friends. Yes, definitely. All right. So with that, we hope you enjoy our discussion. With Dr. Christina Grobert.
1: Christina Grobert, welcome to the Behavioral Groups podcast. How are you the, uh, this afternoon?
2: <laughs> I'm doing very well. We have wonderful weather in Sweden. Everybody's outside. They say, well, um, Swedish summer is the best. And then people will say, yes, I really like that day of the year.
0: <laughs> it's not that different from Minnesota. As I look out the window, there is still snow on the ground, and, yes. and it's the middle of April here. So we got dumped on over the weekend, so
1: yeah. enjoy yeah.
0: your day of summer, uh, and, and we'll take ours sometime in
1: yes. mid-July. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. So we're going to start with a, little, a, a, a quick uh, speed round. Uh, your, your quick unthoughtful reactions to Michelangelo
0: or Monet?
2: Michelangelo.
0: Thaler or Conahan, which deserve the uh, behavioral economics prize, the Nobel Prize, more?
2: Thaler for bringing it into public policy. Ah, okay,
0: uh, very good. All right. <laughs> oh, last okay. one. Okay,
1: um, dishwasher or hand wash? Your your. Um,
2: Oh, I was just saying I'm moving soon and I said I really, really need a dishwasher. So that's gonna be the one thing I will not compromise on because I've been hand <laughs> washing for a long time.
1: Fantastic. Okay. All right. Okay, terrific. Well, we are here to talk about nudges. And uh, you've done some very specific research on nudges, and so maybe could you start by telling us a little bit about uh, where nudges come from?
2: Yes, so I think that's, that's always an interesting thing to consider when we talk about nudging in the, in the practical sense, because the way nudges are defined actually saying, well, there are ways that influence our behavior or intervention that influence our behavior without restricting choice or changing economic incentives um, really shows that, that they are defined compared to something else. So they are com- defined compared to other type of policy instruments, and that would be rules and regulations economic incentives or relevant information. So now the question would be, well, why these three? So why is is everything else that's not one of these three defined as a nudge? And for that, if we think about how this came into being in economics, um, maybe we should think about how, in the 80s and 90s, Richard Taylor um, started recording anomalies, so deviations from traditional economic behavior that still were predictable, but that weren't in line with the traditional economic model, the neoclassical model saying, well, people maximize their utility based on their choices, based on the prices, and based on the available information.
1: So, uh, so is, uh, do, we, do economists look at utility differently today? Is, is utility uh, thought of differently or explained differently in a broader sense today than it was, say, 30 years ago?
2: I think you can say it that way yes if we look at behavioral economics because now we're starting to integrate other things into this utility function than what it was maybe 30 or 40 years ago so now things like moral utility or reciprocity altruism these things are being added to the utility function which we didn't have previously so previously was we much more of a fixed function maybe also was easier to calculate i think once we start adding all these psychological factors to it, it makes it so much harder to create mathematical predictions. Um, So, yes, so I think we're still basing this on this utility maximizing model. So the idea is still how does an individual maximize utility, but then we're adding in other type of factors that weren't in the model um, at an earlier point in time.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, what differentiates what what makes a nudge different from an economic incentive? For instance, like a um, a sales rep who is going to be rewarded with with some kind of extra, either monetary or non-monetary reward, uh, by achieving something. Why? How is that different from a nudge?
2: So, nudge should some should be something that doesn't matter. So, Richard Taylor also says like a supposedly irrelevant factor. So an economic incentive matters in the economic terms, by definition, it, it's getting a reward. Now, you might say, well, being a um, member of the month or uh, sales representative of the month can also matter. And that is true. Once it starts mattering a lot, then I also wouldn't classify it as a nudge anymore. So nudges are really those small things that for this rational person shouldn't matter. So once we start adding these things, I like, yes, guess, getting, getting stars or getting other type of recognition that could be similar to an economic incentive, actually. So a nudge would be more something like the way that something is ordered uh, in an online mask or something where it could say, well, I can see all the options. It's really a tiny difference, but it does have an effect that I chose or choose the top option uh, most of the time, Okay. for example.
0: So it it seems there's a slippery slope. In that definition then because all right so getting a star right Uh, your manager hey great job Uh, email with a star on it doesn't seem to be relevant in, in most instances right it doesn't have the same impact at least not an economic impact and probably from a utility perspective who knows but where where does that you know what is it is it two stars is it you know is it the recognition in front of your team where does that oh where's goodness. that where's the cutoff or is that still a gray area that it depends
2: i think that's a really good question and we've been debating that also actually yesterday was two of my colleagues here writing a new paper on, <laughs> on nudges um and we had that same discussion we said well when does a nudge turn into a shove so is um <laughs> is telling people that they shouldn't litter or that 9 out of 10 other people don't litter, that maybe still falls under a nudge because it doesn't really matter that much. But if I put a picture of you in your hallway and say, well, this person has the worst littering habit or has a, sorts the less, least garbage uh, in this building, well, then, then maybe we're moving out of the realm of a nudge into something that actually has, as we say, economic consequences because now your neighbors might hate you or they might come to your door Um, so in that sense, especially when it comes to these moral nudges, so these are nudges that create some type of additional utility. This can be a good utility. Like I feel good about myself, so it can be recognition, but it can also be negative things like shame. So we actually classify that as a moral nudge category and say that that's different from cognitive nudges. And these cognitive nudges are really just mistakes in a way in my decision making. Um, exactly, how choices are presented, maybe also things like default effects, that I'm a little bit too lazy to switch. But that's actually a different category from making people feel good or bad about themselves, um, because it's a different way of how this would go into the utility function.
0: So in that utility function, that has almost always been classically an economic term. And it sounds like there's this component, there's the psychology component of this that's being now woven in with the moral nudge aspect about from an economic perspective it may not make any difference but from a psychological perspective how is this making me feel is this making me feel bringing me down or bringing me up is that a is that a clarific? Does that make sense, or am I way off base in that in that component?
2: No, no, no. Exactly. It's um. So I like this one example by Gary Becker. He's one of these. Uh, he also got the Nobel Prize okay. um a, a while back, and he's often this neoclassical traditional economic um modeler, um but applied to a lot of these social science topics. So he would say, well, you're late for a meeting. You drive up. You don't find a parking space, and then you decide, okay. How much is a fine if I park here in this um, no parking zone? What's the chance of me getting caught? And then what's the utility of getting to the meeting on time? So how much will I lose for not being there? Um, And then he calculates, well, the probability of getting caught times the fine and compares that to the benefit of going to the meeting on time. And then he makes a rational decision, which one is better? And then decides on that. So now if you would say, well, when we add these moral components, it might be like, well, maybe he's going to feel bad for parking in a no parking zone or somebody looks at him funny and that's why he decides not to do it. So then we can add these moral costs. Um, but maybe we could also yeah, change how easy it is to park in a no parking zone. Maybe it would take him 10 minutes to to maneuver the car into it or something. So that might make it a little bit more inconvenient. And yeah, so then we might have different levels of how this utility changes.
1: So, so both could be at play. We could, we could have both this uh, this this moral nudge and a cognitive nudge uh, involved in, in any given experience, right? At the same time.
2: Of course. Yeah. Of course. Because I think often we, our brain only sees few things at a time, right? So there's so many things that influence us on how we make decisions, how close the the pa- paper cups are close to us compared to the ceramic cups for our coffee, right? These are not things we think about. And there, for example, we don't create moral costs because it just, one is closer to us or we it's easier to reach. So maybe we take the ceramic cup or the pa- uh, paper cup is easier to reach. But that's a very different way of restructuring choices than if we add these moral components.
1: Yeah, it certainly is. Um, I'm, I'm wondering about in... Uh you 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 brought up uh, Richard Thaler a couple times. You you've done some work with Richard, or you you know him. You've had some exchange with him. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yes. So we haven't worked together. Um, we have had lunch together at a very nice Korean restaurant in Chicago. Um, <laughs> so that was that was really great. So he really took the time. Uh, another colleague of mine, and um, and him and me, like we went for lunch and talked a little bit about nudging the work he was doing was uber at the time i had just done this nudges in sweden organized that so that was a was a lot of fun so it's really oh, great if, oh, if these people did really do? take the time to um yeah sit down for lunch um yeah. and hmm?
1: did right. you call that a nudge is that what you said in sweden
2: exactly yes so that was it
1: <laughs> oh, oh, you have yeah. to tell us about <laughs> the what is about a nudge i'm sorry what does Taylor has to wait we really <laughs> didn't know about the nudge <laughs>
2: Yes. So the Son is actually something that was invented by uh, Warwick Business School. So they started doing these case study competitions where they had an outside partner come in. And then the question was, okay, how can we use behavioral science to help them? So a little bit like these hackathons you have in IT, but the idea is a one day case study competition. And then when I came to Gothenburg University in the beginning, um, I thought it was a bit sad that there wasn't really a lot of behavioral economics, behavioral science on the lower levels of our bachelor students. Um, so then, yeah, I thought it would be fun. I got a little bit of money here at the university and organized this one-day case study competition and um, yeah, found an outside partner. It was about how to get people to shop more locally um, uh, in the different areas here in Gothenburg. And then I had invited a couple of other people to give lectures and really we had people from medicine, from Electri- uh, electrical engineering, of course, also from business and economics. Um, it was quite fun.
0: And so, who won the Nudge-a-thon competition? Was there At, one of the case what? studies? What? Did, what did, yeah. yeah what, what did they What did they propose?
2: Yes. Sorry, actually...
0: right. <laughs> you are the spot. <laughs>
2: So they um, they wanted to implement these benches. So the idea was that few people shop in the in the suburbs, and a lot of people go either to cities or to bigger shopping malls. But they don't really shop locally. And then the question was, why is this happening? And one of the ideas was saying, well, maybe they don't feel it doesn't feel that nice to be there. Maybe it's not such a nice area, and they don't really have the benefits. And why should you shop there compared to a city where you have higher selection? So the, their idea was to install um benches that face each other so it's really creating more of a community setting and then have conversation starters in a way on like on the trees or something like ideas how to like get to know your neighbor type of uh, conversation starters so unfortunately we never got to implement it uh we thought about it for a while but then yeah i mean we <laughs> could really, really get the funding for the for these benches but uh yeah i think that was one of the winning ideas um but yeah but these nuchathons are done i think in there was one in singapore now in australia uh, a couple more in london so i think it's a really fun concept
0: we might need to think about I that for minneapolis that. here yeah. we go. we'll invite like, yes. you over and we'll yeah. we'll have one of these oh and
1: one more question about the nudge-a-thon did the contestants know what they were going to be working on the day of the nudge-thon in advance did you tell them Prior to arriving or did they walk in, all walk in at the same time in the morning and then you you say okay we're gonna be focusing on how to get people to shop local? Uh,
2: Even spot. more than that because none of them had any prior knowledge on behavioral science or all of these things so actually oh. they first got some lectures on behavioral science on experimental design then they were presented with a case Um, and then they worked on that so actually it was completely unknown to them they just were asked do you want to participate in making the world a better place here's come sign up for a day and uh, we'll do some some nudging
1: very cool wow that was that is so cool and and you did that at at, uh, Gothenburg
2: exactly yes so when I well almost four years ago now uh, when I started here
1: well, we need to get you to Minneapolis. That's what we need to do is uh, uh, because the weather is so similar. You can you come be right and the snow. There you go. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yes, I love that.
1: Okay, back to Thaler. Yes. So, uh, you know, I've, I've heard Richard Thaler described uh, by people who who uh, studied under him at the University of Chicago as a visiting dignitary, that he's a very busy guy and um, and a bit a bit aloof. But so tell us about your lunch at the Korean restaurant. It sounds very... Um, very fun and very engaging. That
2: no, was great. But to your point, being a or not being so available before. Actually, when I was um, still doing my PhD in the beginning, I went to San Diego for four months, and then for two months to University of Chicago. So I spent six months in the U.S. And actually, those four months in San Diego, which Taylor had an office very close to me, and then I switched to Chicago first of May. I was like what is this old guy now also doing in Chicago at the same time that I switched to Chicago? <laughs> so it turns out that he, so I didn't really know much about him, even though we spent four months in the same building before, but that was in the very beginning of my PhD. Um, yeah, and then he was in Chicago and he has this deal where in the wintertime, he's in San Diego and in summertime, he's in Chicago. Or at least it was that case when, when I was there. Yeah. Um, so I did see him around a lot actually for those six months. But we never really got in touch. I also hadn't really worked on, um, on nudging. I was working a lot with Uwe Kinesi, who I was visiting. We were working on deception and feedback, uh, a couple of other topics. So then actually this lunch happened at a much later point and then um, realized yeah, what, what he was working on and um, where I had more of an interest in nudging.
1: You said so, you were working with uh, that. That's that's interesting. That that's really interesting to get a different perspective on that. You said you were working with uh, Yuri Ganesi. Is that did I hear exactly? You? Yes. Yeah, he has done uh, really great work in incentives. Um, what what kind of stuff were you were the two of you working on?
2: So it was uh, four of uh, four of us together. Uh, Silvia Sacado and Francesca Tausch were also on the project, and yeah, I still really like this paper. I think it was a lot of fun. I think it really. It's also Uri style. So what we did is that um, we were all at the same conference and there was one guy who was kept interrupting the speakers and giving, well, today, I guess we would call them mansplaining things. Um, And it it was getting worse and worse and Uri kept hitting his hat on the table. I was like, really, why doesn't anybody tell this guy that he shouldn't be, that he should maybe not talk this much and interrupt this much, but he did. So, but at least it was an inspiration for one of our papers um, because we then asked, why don't people like to give negative feedback? Why didn't anybody step up in the break? It would be better for him. It would have been better for the rest of us who were being interrupted constantly. Um, but nobody walked up. So actually what we did uh, in this experiment is that, and yeah, this is maybe a bit controversial, but we had 10 guys and 10 girls line up in front of each other. And they had to rank each other by attractiveness, and then the guy standing next to the other guy had to tell that guy where he thought he was in the ranking from the girls. So where do you think you are? What do they think they ranked you as? A 10, a seven, a five? And, well, I mean, if it's face-to-face, we found that everybody was lying, definitely. Um, (laughs) Well, you're definitely better than average. Um, But when they were just paid to be uh, correct. So when it wasn't being told to the other person, well, they were really good actually at um, estimating where the other person was in the ranking. Obviously, themselves, they were always on top of the ranking, even if we paid them a lot.
1: Still <laughs> were the
2: best looking bunch in the group. Um, but uh, yeah, and when it was anonymous feedback, they were actually, and I think this was a bit more surprising, um, they were also quite honest. So if it couldn't be traced back to them, they would still say, Yeah, I think you're not that good looking, or the girls probably don't think you're that good looking. And actually, we paid them up to $50 to give a correct answer. Um, and in face-to-face, they would still lie. And in the other treatments, yeah, they were quite mean, I guess. Oh.
0: So again, in in thinking about some of those, the, the psychology, the, the psychological costs of giving somebody negative feedback to their face obviously didn't outweigh the the monetary benefit of the $50 that they could get from that. Is that one of the yeah
2: so there we really see that um yeah you feel too bad i think it i mean it's really not so much about feeling bad for the other person but really you don't want to be the messenger so you don't want to be the one who who is the one to bring the bad news and because that might have consequences on potentially how people treat you later on but maybe also just how you see yourself i mean these were all anonymous and students who came to the lab who didn't know each other previously but of course, it's a university campus, so it's not impossible. You might run into each other again. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so reciprocity or the fear of reciprocity uh, wasn't uh, wasn't so much at play. It, w- it was just about actually delivering the message. In what you guys discovered.
2: Yeah. So in the experiment, there's no possibility for reciprocity afterwards. So you're really just sending a message and said person A and people were wearing a sticker was A, so you could identify them as A said. They think you're two or something in yeah. the ranking, um, but then the experiment ended and everybody left, so there was no direct interaction. Um,
1: so, so it wasn't like uh, Kurt rated me and then I rated Kurt.
2: No, you well, always just rate rated one really, other person.
1: Oh, you would rate me really high, of course. <laughs> so, I would. Of course, and then, we then got, I would be realistic. And, then you'd yeah. be realistic with me, of course. And I'd be at the bottom of the of the <laughs>
0: We know that. <laughs> Sorry, we digress. Yeah. So
2: in a way, like they would both be better off if the other person gave the right answer. So if you were ranking a curtain and you would have to say which number you are, then and you get it right out of the ten, then both of you would get paid. So both oh. of you would have a benefit from if you get it right. So that was the incentive that we're working on. Saying so if I give you the correct feedback and then you say the right thing because I know that you're probably overconfident, you probably think you're amazing looking. So I should probably say, I think you're not that great looking. So you adjust downwards in your, um, in your guess of uh, where you are. Yeah, but we don't see that. Wow. But
0: it's, it's, I mean, that's really <laughs> interesting to, to then take that and look at that insight on obviously rating people's attractiveness and the ability to give real feedback. But put that into a work situation, or in that conference, as you were talking about, where mm-hmm. the 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 element of giving honest feedback to somebody can have significantly more impact than fifty dollars. If an organization, right, if you have a bad manager who's doing bad things, the overall the the cost of that for the organization over the long run, thousands of not millions of dollars, depending upon their their place. And so, what did you did you find any way of overcoming that or has there been any subsequent research that you've followed up and what allows people uh, besides that anonymous component or
2: so we haven't done any additional research except the anonymous part so i think one of the findings is to say okay and i was actually now asked to be a bit of an advisor to an app uh, they're developing in the uk which is a bit about giving feedback um, to colleagues and then the question really is how much can we make it anonymous so of course you don't want people trolling or people saying but if it's with your colleagues i think then you shouldn't really be expecting that that's really going to be too unfriendly so i think in most cases we just see that people are being too polite i mean first of all they have too high opinions about themselves and then they get this good feedback from others and then we have this mechanism where people yeah have too high expectations about themselves
1: this is a this is a real challenge. Um, I've been um, talking to some some companies who are trying to uh, make the recognition and feedback model more effective for companies. And um, and one idea that that I've heard recently that I thought was really good is that when um, let's say I, I was presenting in a meeting and the two of you were in it after the meeting, I solicit your feedback. I ask you for your feedback. So and and I do it through a form. And because it was um, because I was presenting and I'm interested in your feedback on presenting the message to to Kurt and Christina is um, Tim wants your feedback on how he presented at the meeting and then it gives you some some choices about you know from you know uh, outstanding you know concise clear etc to uh, maybe something that was like um, not clear didn't follow a good narrative or you know there's some specific feedback um, and, and I, was, I was impressed by this because my thought is that if, if that's, that feedback is solicited, that people might be more honest rather than, than unsolicited feedback. Uh, what do you think about that, Christina? Do you think that it, there might be more possibility in a corporate setting for, for someone to be more open and more honest if they're being asked for their feedback?
2: I think so. I think one of the criticisms that people had was our paper was also to say, well, maybe you can't do much about your attractiveness, but you can do things about something else. Mm-hmm. So I think similarly, you would say like if somebody already bought a wedding dress, you're not going to say it looks bad because you're not going to return it. So, done, right. But if it's just, if you're still in the dressing room and you're putting something on and you could still change something about it, then you might say, mm, maybe you'll try something else. Right. Um, so I think that's really the idea also like how much can people change um and are then people more willing to say something but then again i still think that um yeah it it also matters on how much does this again is this going to affect us also it doesn't matter if that person um changes really changes behavior or do we just want to be polite so i think the further you are away from me in in work conditions or something then i mean why should i yeah, be very um, direct to something in my feedback if I don't really get something out of it, except that you maybe think I'm not that nice.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so if you
2: work close together.
0: Oh, mm-hmm. I'm just I, sorry to interrupt. It's interesting. The uh, Ray Dalio, the the uh, founder and I think he's CEO or uh, of Bridgewater Associates, and he's talked about the culture that they do in Bridgewater Associates, which is this radical. Um, I forget he has a name for it, Radical Transparency, I believe, where they literally, uh, I, to your point, you that's what made me think about it, is they ask for that feedback and people are expected to give feedback. And I heard of just a, a recent uh, uh, podcast where they are taking, you know, one of the gentlemen, uh, one of the managers was in front of 200 people of his managers was rated as the worst manager in the company in front of everybody else.
1: Oh my gosh. But
0: but he took it and they they interviewed him and they were saying, you know, it's actually, he said, it was really, you know, opening because I want to improve. And the only way I improve is by knowing, all right, so this is what, this is reality. And so being that transparent, I would find that very hard. I think I think I would too. But but it's interesting with all of the conversation that you know this is being around and different things. I'm wondering if a culture of having that transparency and that feedback can actually help in people giving that feedback if that's the expectation. So,
1: or in other words, could a company foster a corporate culture that enables uh, open and Honest feedback between people—that isn't trolling. That is not, um, you know, derogatory or mean-spirited. I I like the sound
0: of that. It's interesting. Anyway, yeah, we (laughs) digress. We
1: digress. (laughs) Back to nudges. Back to nudges. And ethics. Let's talk about ethics. Um, You know that we oftentimes in our podcast get to the topic of ethics, and it's. it's a big deal for us. We, we are really concerned about the ethical use of, of any kind of uh, psychological... Uh, behavioral to, science. Yeah, behavioral science tool. What, what, what are your thoughts about that? You, I know that uh, you, you've put some time in on, on the ethics question, Christina. What, uh, what do you think about this?
2: Exactly, so I think it is a question that's being asked a lot and I also find it very important if we want to have behavioral science and nudging as a policy tool, well, then we really, need to, um, we really need to figure out where are the lines. And one recent uh, paper that I was working on called The Hidden Costs of Nudging, I uh-huh. really wanted to see what are these unintended consequences of carrying out to nudge. So often the studies that we see are done in a way that we want to change behavior, and then we do the nudge, and we see if the behavior changes in a predictable way. But we don't really see what else changes at the same time. So there might be, if I nudge you to eat more vegetarian food at lunch, maybe you're going to have a steak for dinner and much more than you would have had otherwise. So it's not clear if this was a good idea to begin with. Or in our case, we send people reminders to give to charity. And every time we send a reminder, also more donations came in. But on the other hand, also more people unsubscribed from the mailing list because they thought it was annoying uh, to get these reminders. So from that, we derive that for some people, there must be this, what I already said before, these moral costs, these guilt costs, hassle costs of getting these reminders. And since the response rates to our campaign was usually about 1%, it means that 99%, okay, half of them probably put it in spam folder immediately, but at least the rest of them, they only got this negative feeling of getting this reminder, being asked to give to charity, but they didn't want to give at that point of time. So they might have felt guilty. So, or if your gym keeps sending you reminders, yes, for some people, it might help them to remind them to go to gym, and maybe exactly this factor of feeling a bit guilty helps. But there's also a lot of people who just feel the guilt. So, if we think about this from a really national perspective, a policy perspective, the question is once we start nudging everywhere, especially using things like these moral costs, um, yeah, are we creating a lot of negative feelings in a lot of people? Um, And what type of consequences? Does that tough um yeah
0: well uh when you come up with that line will you send us a note
2: <laughs> exactly it, it is an
0: interesting component when you're talking about the unintended consequences of a nudge which on face value seems really uh, it, it meets all the criteria that you set it out to meet you know using framing on on some of these different things the reminders as you said choice architecture the choice architecture but it is those unintended consequences that as you pointed out in the in the paper i I read you know we don't at least researchers haven't always looked at those those contrary components and so when you're looking at the overall impact it was skewed because you didn't take into those those other factors into account so i think that's a that's a really good point to, to take, and particularly as organizations are starting to use nudges more and more and more. Yeah, we get more people to, to sign up for the 401k plan, but what does that have to do with the rest of their savings in, in other aspects of their life? And does that have the negative component, and how does that impact them? Are other factors that go into that? So
1: It's complex. I mean, we're complex, and I can feel you know, I'm sensitive to how lazy my brain is. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sensitive to how just your brain. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Unfortunately, Christina, we work together way too much, <laughs> but this, it, it, I, I'm aware of the short, you know, the, the shortcomings that I have in terms of wanting to shape, to take shortcuts in my decision-making and in, in thinking about things because it just feels so much easier. Um, and so I, I think you're asking a really, really good question. How, how how do you deal with it in your own life?
2: That's um that's also a good question. Maybe just about taking the shortcuts. I think we should we shouldn't be so hard on ourselves. I think we need shortcuts if we make we used to say in my nudging courses like if you would deliberately think about everything you're doing you would never leave the house because (laughs) you need to have habits right you need to have things that you like that you put on you don't need to think about is do you want coffee or tea i mean often these things are just things we do so Mm -hmm. and i think also nudging can be really helpful in these situations when we have other things to think about when we're stressed or even people who have a lot of other constraints i work a lot with people working with nudging sustainability and then say yeah but people should be convinced that they should be better in environmental issues they should want to sort their trash and they should want to take public transport and they should want to turn off the light when they leave the room but i think yeah but that's maybe also a bit arrogant almost to think that we have these cognitive capacities to think about this all day uh, about how we can do climate change but there might be other people who don't know how to pay for the gas for the car or i don't know or have a sick child or something like this and then i think can't we help use nudging also to help these people and not say oh but they need to want to do this in a rational way they need to think as much as we do about environmental change um so maybe we can just make it easier through nudging for them to do the right thing
0: i love that i I, I love that so have you seen any bad nudges and bad being relative to your own kind of definition Is this like of on, the mor-
1: on the moral side on or? the
0: moral side um and actually probably on the practical side too i'm sure there's lots of examples <laughs> on hey we tried this and i backfired on us. but from a moral perspective are there there are nudges that you think might just have gone over the line and i don't know maybe it's from the perspective of of Their intent, or maybe it's from perspective of the unintended consequences that you mentioned before. Have you seen any, or have you identified any of those?
2: So I think recently there's been a lot of talk about sludges, right? So nudges with bad intentions, and I think if we and those are really the ones with bad intentions. I think Richard Taylor recently tweeted one of Wells Fargo who seemed to have stolen some money from their clients and then sent them these dingy. Envelopes and saying sign here and send them back if you want your stolen money back something like that And then of course making use of these laziness or that people are not attentive to these envelopes and then assuming that people will not Send these envelopes back so they don't need to pay out the money So I think that's a very obvious uh, way and when I present this then I often say well Does it fail the New York Times test? so if you feel happy if this is on the front page of the New York Times tomorrow then it's probably more of a nudge in in a good way, this nudging for good. And if you would feel really embarrassed, then I guess it falls more into the sludge category. Mm. So I think that's really the intended ones. But what we're doing right now, we're doing this project and we're planning this project in South Africa right now with the um, Ministry of Health. And okay. there the idea is how can we nudge pregnant women or young mothers to take more vitamins, to adhere to HIV treatments, to potentially breastfeed more. These type of questions, and there you might use reminders or social norms or these type of nudges, and there I think there's actually a risk that you, you might potentially be overdoing it. So that even wow. though it's very well intended, so that the idea is really we have a lot of um, infant mortality because they aren't breastfeed, because there is contaminated water. So yes, we do want to really push these mothers to behave along these lines but that could also be a risk that this is a very vulnerable population so maybe we're actually making it worse because people will feel bad about the actions that they're not taking and then maybe try to hide that so i think that's really a situation where i think the intentions are only good but where maybe nudging can like do too much if not done correctly
0: yeah that's a great example again best intentions in the world but you have to think through you know layers and layers of how that can impact different people so that be very interested to find out what your your end result is on that, and how you guys overcome some of those issues. Well, so. we, we're going to stay in touch, Christina. We're we're, yes. we're going to make we're, <laughs> we're going to have to
1: loop. We have we have we are so enjoying this, and uh, I'm I'm pretty certain that Kurt and I are going to have a lot more things to talk about with you. So we
0: we want to.
2: Well, we I'd love to be back.
0: We <laughs> have <laughs> a Dutch fest in Minneapolis.
2: Yes.
0: So I think we're getting close to time, and I know you always have a, a ending question here. You go Mr. ahead. No, it's it's your 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 area of expertise. <laughs> I don't want to step on your toes. Well, Christina, you
1: know that because this is the behavioral grooves, and grooves are in vinyl records uh, and make music. We like to talk about music. So, so can you tell us a little bit about um, your musical interests? What what is it that uh, would you say that there's any kind of music that defines you?
2: So I think to be really honest, I think I'm the person that Spotify thought of when they made these playlists. That's like <laughs> music, party music, morning music, yeah, calm music. So that's, um, so I think I'm probably one of the biggest users of these type of uh, Spotify playlists. Okay. But um, I was thinking about like one song, something that... Uh, Yeah, that came to mind. It was uh, in Costa Rica surfing two weeks ago. And I was in the waves and I was struggling and it was really hard to get back into the lineup. And I was thinking about, okay, how is this similar? And I was thinking about, yeah, actually surfing is a lot like this academic process. It's like a lot of struggling 99% of the time. It's a lonely struggle by yourself. You never know if it's going to be worth it. Um, And I was thinking about this one. It's a German song. It's called um, Die Perfekte Welle, which means the perfect wave. Uh, and the song is actually it's called a band uh, it's a band called juli i don't know i guess it's from the late 90s or something
1: okay
2: juli which means july in german um and the song is really about this feeling that yeah you've years of struggling and then finally you have that perfect wave and it's true i mean also when surfing like yeah, most of the ten days I was in sur- uh, surfing it was mostly just paddling. But <laughs> then when you do manage to get that one perfect wave, it's really a great feeling. So isn't it? That really describes uh, describes my life in that sense.
0: That's it's- terrific. I, I I have never understood. I have never tried surfing, so I shouldn't oh, say this. But I, I, I have always watched it, and I go, they're working really, really, really hard. For about 15 seconds of of stuff, and then they work really, really, really hard. And I go, that just seems too much work for no, me. No, because that 15
1: <laughs> seconds is amazing. <laughs> it's amazing to to feel that wave just start pushing your board forward, and just like this is magic. Yeah, yeah it's, it's terrific. Uh, I exactly.
0: I'll, I'll hop on skis and get the chairlift. Take me up. Keep <laughs> um, my feeling going. down.
1: Christina, thank you so much for taking time today. This has been, uh, this has really been a lot of fun for us. And, yeah. uh, and we're going, we want to have a nudge-a-thon in Minneapolis. So we want you to be here for it. So.
2: Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> I
0: love, love that. Christina, nice meeting you and thank you. And uh, any last words for listeners?
2: Well, I guess we should quote uh, Richard Taylor here on a podcast on nudging and say, nudge for good.
0: There you go. All right. What a great what a great ending. So thank you very much. Welcome, welcome, welcome to our grooving session where Tim and I groove on what we learned from our behavioral grooves interview, have a free-flowing discussion on some of those topics, and whatever else comes into our hat covered or unhat covered heads. So Tim first impressions of the session with Christina what kind of caught your eye or your ear
1: nudge fest 2018
0: <laughs> nudge fest nudge fest nudge fest
1: nudge-a-rama nudge <laughs> Nudgeola. I don't know what would Christina's probably probably got all the, all the good things
0: copyrighted and trademarked uh, well I am hope she, she does and I, I I do think it would be great to have her over to yeah, yeah to do have one to. of these oh, we my need gosh. to figure that out it
1: was so fun talking to her yes it, it was. was it was it, really it, it really fun. was fun. So, okay, uh, to answer your question more <laughs> specifically, definition of nudges. De- like to talk about nudge. And when she said, well, you know, a nudge should be, how did she say it? Like a nudge should be something that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I-, I took that, and I think I might have taken it the wrong way. Yeah, we that, talked about this. Yeah, that a nudge has should have no material impact. But that's not why we, but nudges do have material impact.
0: Yeah, and that, that, I took it a different way. I was saying that the the act that drives the nudge should have no. So, in other words, it's the choice architecture, right? It it's irrelevant to me. Irrelevant is that the right word? That that if I have an opt in or opt out of a organ donor, I still have the choice. I still have to make a choice or not make a choice, right? Um, and so that mm. choice part. Is the irrelevant factor the outcome of that is definitely meaningful, meaningful and has yeah. benefit to the society, which is what I think they're trying to get at from a nudge perspective. So yeah. it's not the outcome; it's the input that is the okay. uh, irrelevant. That
1: part. that helps clarify for me yeah. um, because I went when we were just kind of going through the interview, I don't think I fully locked in on the sort of the correct disposition on that, yeah. the right point of view. Uh, okay, what, what 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 struck you, Kurt? Yeah, I'm just
0: going back to how you could misconstrue that. Well, I did. I just did. <laughs> I mean, believe me it's easy for me to misconstrue actually that's oh one my God, of my it was so clear it, Tim. it was oh. right in front of us she did a very nice job of explaining this is, it this is one of my superpowers <laughs> <is> misconstruing <laughs> things actually i was doing that on purpose because i think there's a communication component that we have that you know it's very easy for people mm-hmm. to to take some of this information um you know in in different ways which is a whole different rabbit hole that we're not going to go down now we because you just to, asked yeah. me about what yeah what what, I what, I what, what struck you what so it was interesting i think there's you know a lot of different conversations that we had in here that were interesting one that i found really we didn't dig into but it's this it's the concept that you were just talking about right so if these are if a nudge is really something that is not meaningful or irrelevant right to the making that decision, you know, what's that gray area between that or not? And that was a, we we started to get in that conversation, you know, is a, is a thank you. Would you do something for a thank you? That's really, I mean, how much relevancy does that have on your, on your life yet it does. Um, You know, the, the experiment of People allowing you to cut in line at a copier just because you say, "Because I have to make you, copies," right? That's not irrelevant. even because
1: I need it done now. No, even just saying, I, "Oh, excuse it? me, I I have to make copies." Yeah, and and you look like you're in a rush.
0: And so, but then, so is that irrelevant? Yes, probably. But are there then factors that get into, you know, getting a smiley face because you completed something on an app? Yeah. Um a badge. A badge. Or, or what about money? Or what you know, it so think about it. I mean, is a dollar really am I gonna massively change my I mean economically, yes. There's it's a dollar is a dollar. So that probably would fall outside of that nudge factor, but Should it? I mean, does that? And I think then we have the whole component of money and getting into some of the stuff with Ariely and and all of those factors that it probably wouldn't be effective, so why would we do it? But that definition of a nudge, which is the reason we you... You contacted Christina in the in, first, in the first place. place, right? You Was posted a, a comment out on uh, on a blog or yeah. right? a LinkedIn group, and she just jumped in,
1: which yeah. I just think so highly of that. You know, uh, there were some, there were lots of actually really interesting people that jumped in, really good, uh, not just interesting but thoughtful people that
0: had really good comments on that um, on that LinkedIn discussion. Yeah. And and to a certain degree, I think it's probably semantics and probably academic kind of uh, yeah. parlay into it, but. It was interesting to me to be thinking about so that gray area between a nudge and an incentive—the gray area yeah. that you know, where do you cross that line? Well, I, I'm I'm kind of laughing because I'm thinking
1: back to one of uh, one of uh, the people who commented. Dominic Shadbolt actually said, "This is just so academic. Like, come <laughs> on, really." But I but I'm cons- I, I, you know I want I want to have that understanding. I want to have a deeper and clearer understanding uh, as we're going forward because when I think about nudges, I'm gonna go to a nudge that I wish I would have had when I went to park when I was late for a meeting. Oh yes, right? we started talking about the Gary Becker thing, right. Yeah. So I had an experience just after we recorded this of being late for a meeting in downtown Minneapolis in my car. I see that there is a no loading zone or it's a loading zone parking for 30 minutes. And I thought, you know, actually all my meetings going to last is less than 30 minutes so I can grab this spot. And I came out with a, and found a $457 <laughs> ticket
0: on my car. So first off on that, I didn't think there were such things as $457 parking tickets. Well, let tickets. me tell you, my friend, <laughs> come to Nudge Fest and you'll find out all, all about them. So, but uh, just to go back, and and so this was the area when we were talking with Christina where she's talking about Gary Becker and doing the... Right. Uh, research that was talking about how people do a uh, kind of this rationalization or probability in their head of um, yeah. is am I likely to get caught in parking right. in this R- no risk parking of getting zone caught versus the, the value penalty. right and so it's a classical economic utility theory but then yeah. she started bringing in this component of well what if somebody's watching you. Um, and bringing in the, again that concept of moral utility that we talked about.
1: Or what if there had been a sign that said, "If you park here and you don't belong, it's going to cost you four hundred and fifty-seven dollars." That would have been a good nudge for me.
0: It really would have. Okay, okay, Tim. I sorry. I, that's. I'm, am I getting yes, a little too versatile on you, this? You know, you you have a four hundred fifty-seven. You know, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully uh, you got enough clients that you can cover that now. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you
1: know, maybe we'll be doing a um, a, a fundraiser you know, for that. Uh, <laughs> kickstarter campaign. Kickstarter for campaign them, for that. For that for um,
0: going back to moral uh, utilities. Utilities. Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. Because I think that's an interesting topic as well. And yeah. thinking about the moral uh, component of that, right? The feeling of feeling right or wrong that component of having somebody else judge you and do you feel is that you know part of this utility function that is now being worked into you know economic utility theory it's just an interesting component so So, uh,
1: the social side as well yeah christina introduced the idea of reciprocity as having utility, that yes. that you did something for me. Now I feel like I owe you, and there's some utility in that, uh, in that for you and for me. So there's this this collective element of utility now. Yeah. I, I think we need an economist on, on one of our podcasts. I think we up. do
0: need an economist on. Yeah. on well, wasn't Christina an economist?
1: Oh, yeah. Actually, I guess, I guess she was. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry, Christina. We need another We need another economist. Need another economist. We, we, this was a great conversation. But, but need... not
0: to talk about nudges, but to, just to talk about... Um, utility. Utility. I and, think and... that could be very fun, at least for, for me, which, you know, yeah. an N of one here. What about the beauty study and honesty? Honesty, man.
1: How Talk about the tremendous power of, of what it's like to be face to face with someone versus, uh, versus making an anonymous comment, you know, and especially one of the things I took away from this was, especially in the attribute of something that we can't change our looks. Mm -hmm. So if it was something that we could change, if it was how we were dressed, for instance, if it was uh, how well you you play guitar, that's something you could practice and get better at. And so, a rating, it might be easier face to face to that your your face to face versus your anonymous might line up better.
0: That's an interesting but compo- but what's yeah. right.
1: But what struck me is that there's this tremendous asymmetry. I think primarily because we're commenting on something that we can't change our looks. How how good looking is this person? And face to face. What's the point of me saying you're pretty damn ugly? You know, it's just uh not to you, Kurt, just just uh, <laughs> hypothetically. I thought you were looking in a mirror too. No. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> I was I was it is, it's my mirror self. <laughs> and, um so so I found that really really interesting. It, and how about it, you?
0: It, it is an interesting concept, right? Of the so are you less honest with uh, on those factors uh are unchangeable, right? Yeah. But, you can't do anything about it. So why am I going to make you feel bad about yourself? And it was interesting. Mm -hmm. It was uh, the idea where she brought in it's, you don't want to be the messenger. Um, And she mentioned that at at, at a point it's, it's not about feeling like they're going to get back at you or anything, but it's just that, that dread of being the messenger. Maybe they never realized they were as ugly as they thought, or, you know, or they have a, Something, in, and if you're the bearer of bad news, that has a component that I think has a negative element on it. Another interesting piece on this that I was thinking about, and actually we talked about a little bit after this, was is there a difference in the honesty factor that you do or how critical you are uh, based on a time factor, right? And she brought up the wedding dress. Oh,
1: that's great. That and, was, so, and, that you was know, so, great. so how
0: do you. Why would I ever tell you that your wedding dress is ugly because you've already bought it and it's close to your wedding and you're not going to change it? Right. So, so, so that
1: question being answered five minutes before you walk down the aisle could have a completely different answer when that question is raised in the dressing room. Yes, prior
0: to buying it. Prior to buying it. So then that is a whole different response on how you answer that Mm -hmm. it gets into you know we talked about this so if you're soliciting feedback on a presentation right we've done a number both of us have done a number of stand-ups where we're in a group and you do the rehearsal two hours before your presentation and and how much can you actually change at that time so are you being as critical as you could be uh If you had done that rehearsal a week in advance, where you're going, you know what? No, we need to really just change the whole flow of this because it's not working. Yeah. An hour in advance, two hours in advance, you just don't have time. So So why do you even bring it up? Why even go through the hassle and the pain of it? Yeah. Yeah, and then and and so then you focus in on you know more trivial changes that you make and.
1: that brings up a a situation we were both uh, involved with uh, with a a client project uh, where there was some team building things going on and one of the team building exercises had people building lego models right and most of the teams uh, that arrived early were selecting very difficult models to build yes, and they were struggling with them mightily and then one team came in with literally only 2 minutes before the clock went off and and so they made an astute decision they said we're going to try to get it done but we're going to choose the easiest of all the models and ironically they were the only team that actually finished the model correctly yes so and they did it in rapid time and so they looked at the this this wasn't uh this wasn't a question about is this a good you know does the wedding dress look good right before you walk down the aisle it's like we're in the dressing room and we have to be down the aisle very quickly we have one decision to make should we go for the easy or the or the medium or the difficult yeah and they chose the easy and they succeeded And I thought that was a brilliant,
0: actually absolutely brilliant move on their part. (laughs) Yeah, and it it, it doesn't have any component on on honesty, but that component of how decisions are made, Mm -hmm. which I think actually maybe it does relate back, right? Because if we're thinking about the decision to tell somebody honestly what you think about their dress or the presentation that they're about to do— And you look at the timing of that changes how you view what can be done from that decision and what can then then subsequently happen. so, you know, and it goes back to kind of that the the time travelers dilemma that we had when we were um, with. um, (laughs) I'm looking at you, uh, Todd, Todd 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 Fonseca, Fonseca. my gosh, Okay. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't
1: sure if you were referring to a person or if it was a concept. So yeah, it was yeah, our yeah. we, we it, had a meetup
0: where where Todd, who was on the podcast prior, but he also yeah. did one of our meetups, and he was talking about you know how different decisions are made w- based on when we're making them, based on when we're making them, and that's an interesting mm-hmm. component, and that the aspect of honesty is a piece that I think would be really interesting to see if there was research on. How honest you are in those types of situations based on the time frame based on the time frame well
1: okay that sounds like we need to get a researcher engaged in that because I think that could be that could be pretty interesting unless we can
0: just Google scholar it and find it right away <laughs> I'm sure probably somebody's <laughs> already done it right yeah. but uh, what nobody has I, done is a nudge-a-thon
1: Twin Cities Nudgeathon, Nudgefest, so rama
0: I, I am just fascinated by this idea, and I'm frightened by it because I want to do it, but I know how much work it would take. We're, Kurt, we're gonna do it. Okay. We're gonna do it. It's just gonna. Ha- we're. It's not gonna happen automatically, but we're gonna do
1: it because we love the idea, and we and we got to get Christina over here to, to, we'll just, to do it. And we'll just we'll just we'll
0: just make it happen. So yeah. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else that, uh, or is this now? Um, are, are we? Do we? Do we go into music now? Yeah, although
1: um, oh, no, yeah. no. Uh, the the, it, the linking. There was one other link to the discussion about um, the honesty in, in the and versus anonymous comments. Uh, incivility online, I thought was oh, was yes. just. It, 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 I just want to mention that because uh, getting kind of going back to our conversation with Cal C- Turnbull from uh Change My View. Or Charlotte Bank. Blake Charlotte from- Blank talked about data exact data integrity and where we find out and how we present things. This is this is this is not going away. Mm-mm. This is going to become a bigger issue uh the more complex our systems get and the easier it is for you know foreign agents to create fake accounts and and act in a particular way that pushes our buttons, you know, for or against things. Um, I think we've got, we're going to have, we're going to have challenges in the years ahead with regard to what is authentic and what isn't. And do we view ourselves as being in an exchange that is anonymous or in something that's closer to face to face.
0: And in that anonymous component, it lends us, it, it lets us go down that rabbit hole easier into a very you know, to a certain degree, honest, but also very in uncivil type of interaction where it becomes uh, hostile yeah. in 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 manner, as opposed to that face to face interaction where you don't tell somebody that they're ugly to their face, um, and and yeah, it could lead to that. And then does that parlay itself into the overall cultural ethos of what we are as a society? Um, that's a big That's a big I love question. that, Yeah, it is. There I love go. that question.
1: Yeah. Let's ponder that one. But first, should we talk music?
0: Oh, I was still pondering. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, music. So, Mr. Houlihan. Can I just say... Check out the perfect
1: wave by Yuli because it's it's a it's a wonderful sound. These 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 guys are really just a terrific, terrific band.
0: It was it was really cool. I was very impressed. We we had to Google it after our uh, yeah after our conversation, but we did, and I was like, Whoa,
1: it's good this stuff. Is it's, really it's, good. it's 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 so. it's it's got enough sugar in it to to just make it kind of happy and enjoyable. But there's also enough. Um, not grit, but enough uh, substance in the in the the lyrics and in the production that it just it's good combination. Good good music.
0: We'll we'll put a link to it in in the show notes. Definitely. So, there we go. All right. So anything else? Mm, or are you... No, I'm ready for whatever kind of wacky question you have for me. No, oh, I'm, I'm uh, i I thought you were going to ask me about about music so oh okay <laughs> okay I, I, or, or you were gonna go off on your own musical interlude oh no, well like who, who you're listening okay to. so we're
1: coming into into summer concert season okay and i'm just wondering do you have anybody lined up that you're really interested in seeing no not at all <laughs> that, is, that is such hogwash That is such hogwash you
0: know no actually i mean i i, I just have not had time which is a it's yeah. a really bad excuse no, really, really sorry. bad. no, it is a really bad excuse because there are it's one of the things that that I do love doing is going in summer concerts, being outside and and you know going to the Minnesota Zoo where they have the concert series there, which is fantastic, or any of the amphitheaters around or even just some of the local shows that they do outside yeah. you know components. and so I'm sure we'll get to some. good, but I, good. I at this point, I have not had enough opportunity to think about it, look it up, or figure it out.
1: So, Well, there's some, uh, speaking of the Minnesota Zoo Series, I actually just had um, had coffee with Kimberly Gottschalk, who's the CEO of Sue McLean Associates that does the production. Okay. And uh, she's just really excited about about the Zoo Series this year, because there's always this balance, and this, I think, this is an interesting behavioral question for me, okay. is how much do we want to rely on, like, you know, people wanted to go see, um, you know, U2 or the Rolling Stones or... Or um, Fleetwood Mac, um, James Taylor and Bonnie Raitt are, are touring uh, right now for the low low price of only three hundred and fifty dollars a ticket for the nosebleed sections. Not
0: not as much as your parking ticket.
1: Not as much as my parking. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> but the um, but how much uh, do people just want to go and hear the the old hits yeah. versus check out new music? How yeah. how how hard is it to go check out new music because Kimberly and I were talking about this that that she can't infuse too many new touring acts that are really talented musicians and have really good things to say when what people basically want to do is kind of come back and see los lobos one more time and by the way I'm a huge fan of los lobos I dig those guys but but how you know what what's the dynamic in our decision making and that drives us to say, "I want the comfort food versus
0: the healthy sushi." The status quo versus the change that comes Amen in. Amen right? to that. There you go. Well, I was going to talk. I have this, you know, all keyed up because I'm always, you know. You're always thinking ahead. Thinking ahead. You're right. always planning. Actually, You're always working I, it. I'm not, but um, <laughs> usually I'm flying by the seat of my pants. But today I was actually prepared for you to ask me, you know, what I'm oh. listening to. Oh well. And so, Kurt, I was, what are you listening uh, to? Oh well. No, thank you for asking the question, <laughs> Jim. Funny you should say, because I was up late last night, like an idiot that I am, watching uh, oh, the Vikings, Vikings um, show on on my Amazon Prime Video. I was up, you know, watching season 4 going all the way through, so I was up until 3:20 a.m. So my that's why this was a loopy kind of conversation today. But they have the theme song, which is this fantastic song. Uh it's by Fever Ray and it's If I Had a Heart. And combined with the images that they have in the opening scenes with this through weird hazy water and you know, Viking ships. You see the silhouettes of them up, like you're underwater, and you see them going, and they're burning, and then you see, you know, bodies floating and axes falling through, and wow, strange, weird birds. It's an interesting concept, but the the music lends itself really well to the show. Matching up images and music is is really important, isn't it? Yeah, and so it just it it's part of the reason that got me hooked on the show at the very beginning, and. And now I was stupid enough to be up until 3.20 last night <gasps> listening to it or watching it. And um, yeah, anyway, that was it. That was my whole component. That's good stuff. All right. That's good stuff. So but, with that, yeah. I think we should call this podcast to an end. We should. And thank everybody for listening. Yes, thank you for listening. And 54
1: countries. Up 54 countries. 54. That's a five and a four. That's a five and a four in that order, not, <laughs> not the other order. And uh, something else to note is that only 45% of our listeners are in the U.S. So just a big shout-out and a thank you to everyone who is listening who is outside the United States. Thank you very much.
0: And I will shout-out to all of you listening in the United States. A big shout-out to you. Keep it up and get your friends to listen in so that USA start taking. We're number one. We're number one. All all Uh, I have to say that
1: is (laughs) nudge-a-thon. 2019 oh we moved it back a year well I'm thinking it might be a little tough to plan it this year so right. thank you Christina
0: thank you everybody